It's so, it's so awesome to hear how uh, Christ changes lives and then uses lives for his sake. And uh, we thank you so much for uh, uh, Jesse and Jessica and just um, their commitment to Jesus and what they're going to be doing with their child as they raise uh, him uh, up in the Lord. It is a hymn, right? Uh, we heard it was a hymn. So that uh, got announced uh, recently. And it's not Mark Jr., I heard. So anyway, but we're excited that you're here on this Mother's Day. This is, this is a great day. And we, as, uh, we, as we were sharing earlier, as uh, Brandon was up here giving those very smooth announcements, is that um, <laughs> this, uh, this, is, this is actually Ladies' Day. As you think about it, God uh, created us in his image. And when he uh, brought women in the world, uh, that means man was not left alone. And uh, we were very needy as you were created by God. But uh, just to celebrate all the ladies, uh, particularly at a certain age and older, if you're 18 and above, uh, would you stand up and let's give a rounding applause for all the ladies 18 and above today. Uh, we're excited about um, God bringing you into our lives. All right. And hope, uh, hope you have a great uh, experience on this day. And uh, be sure to pick up a gift and just take it home and enjoy that. Uh, before we look in God's word, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this day, and we pray as uh, we uh, just celebrate lives around us, and particularly the women in our lives, we just pray that we might cherish them as you cherish um, each life here, and as, as we think about even as you picture your relationship with us, um, we are the bride of Christ, and we pray that we might uh, realize because we have been loved, then we can experience uh, your love and share it with others. And Father, we pray as we look at uh, a true story in, in the scriptures as we looked at uh, the Old Testament and how God um, took uh, two lives, a man named Boaz and kind of a strange name but a more familiar type named Ruth and, and use that to picture our relationships but not only that, uh, picture how you draw people to yourself that truly on this day that you might speak into our lives and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Now, this is Mother's Day, and I thought I'd begin at least with a few uh, one-liners about uh, women and just um, particularly mothers in, in terms of uh, their experience in life. I, I found some of these intriguing. Uh, this is one mom speaking out. I, I'd like to be the ideal mother, but I'm too busy raising my kids. Um, working mothers are guinea pigs in a scientific experiment to show that sleep is not necessary for human life. I like this one. Um, this really kind of speaks into our lives. Parents often talk about the younger generation as if they didn't have anything to do with it. Think about that one for a moment. And just think about this one as it relates to uh, grandparents, which is kind of on the same idea. Grandparents, I, of course, I would never say this or think this, but the people who think your children, par- grandparents are the people who think your children are wonderful, even though they're, they're sure you're not raising them right. Never had that kind of back uh, backlash from that. Um, for parents and grandparents, this is the definition of a show-off, uh, a child who's, who's more talented than yours. And, and then a couple celebrity statements that I, I found at least intriguing. Uh, Phyllis Diller, kind of an old-time uh, comedian, she said this, I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford, and then I want to move in with them. <laughs> And then one last more, um, Michelangelo's mother, some celebrities' mother's comments, uh, Mike, can't you paint on walls like other children? Do you have any idea how hard it is to get that stuff off the ceiling? (laughs) Michelangelo's mother. Uh, I don't know if you uh, saw that very important statistic uh, recently that uh, came out this week. A lot of these things come on uh, the Internet uh, during uh, Mother's Day, but they, they looked at the favorite names for children. 
And I just want to let you know, from 1960 to 1988, for 28 straight years, after I was named that particular name, Michael was number one on the list. And then since 1988 till this last year, it was either Michael or Jacob. And uh, just to let you know, Noah, you've now hit the list. All right. Uh, but, you know, we have all kinds of challenges as we think about our kids and naming them. And most of the names we pick are basically ones we just like. But in the Old Testament days, often uh, there were specific names given to people that spoke not only to their lives, but maybe the circumstances that were going around. And as, as we look back at a little book that we began last week to look at, uh, Ruth is, is all about a book related to relationships. In fact, her, her name really means friendship. And as we think about um, life, and this is past week, I had opportunity to um, participate in a service in which we remember back at about a life. Her name was Jackie, Jackie Lane, that had, had made um, a large impact on a variety of lives. We think more about life at death than any other time, and we think about life so importantly because life and other lives are what make us live fully and completely. And if that be true in our human relationships, how even more so is in our relationship with the one who gave us life? And so Ruth, a little obscure book in the Old Testament, speaks to us about not only in friendships or relationships with each other, but in friendships with God. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He says, I, I no longer call you slaves or servants, but I call you friends. And as we think about God wanting to know us, he wants to know us not in a superficial way, but an intimate way. And Ruth tells that story. We've entitled this, this series, Surprised by God. And the thing about surprises, if we're really honest, there are two types of surprises, aren't there? There, there are good surprises and then there are bad surprises. There are, there are surprises that, that we celebrate. Wasn't that awesome? That was so great. I just, was, I just want to remember every moment of that, that experience. And then there are surprises that we want to forget. These are the ones we don't celebrate but challenge us to our core. And so this week, as we uh, kind of look again a little bit what we started last, uh, last Sunday, and, and now we kind of go chapter by chapter through this book, I've, I've entitled this message on Mother's Day, which you could also say Mother's Day and Mother-in-Law Days or Grandmother Days, because really Ruth has all that in this book. It speaks about mothers, speaks about mother-in-laws, and it speaks about grandmothers. That it really begins with unpleasant surprises. Now, now the good news is, and sometimes in, in conversations with people, I'll say, I got good news for you and bad news. And you ask the question, well, or they'll ask the question, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? Now, depending upon how you're feeling that particular day, you know, you, you'll answer that in a variety of different ways. But often, if you can get the bad news, then you can anticipate what's coming next, the good news. And really, that's what Ruth is all about. It kind of begins with the bad news. But in case you want to hear the end of the story before we get to the end of the story, there's good news coming. But this account of, of lives, and have you noticed that as you live, life happens? And we begin with some unpleasant surprises. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book, uh, to the book of Ruth. Now, if you're not that familiar, there should be a Bible somewhere near you, you know, the chair in front of you or the chair around you or whatever it might be. And and, and judge it, I mean, Ruth is in the Old Testament. And there are 39 books in the Old Testament. And if you're counting, this is the eighth book. 
you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then there's some couple quick books, uh, beginning with the letter J, Joshua, and Judges. And then you end up with Ruth. And if you're too quick, you go right by it because it's only a couple pages. And in this, we have God's account of dealing with his people. Now, now sometimes when we read the Old Testament, it's, it's a little bit more difficult than the New Testament because you're trying to figure out where, what in the world's happening and what did happen and what's going to happen and what's the timeline. In, in the New Testament, we're all dealing with a, basically the same 30 or 40 or 50 years, but we're talking about thousands of years in the Old Testament. Well, if I were to give you an easy timeline here, uh, basically what you have in the book of Ruth, you have the basically... In, in the life of Ruth, you have, if you were to go back a thousand years, you'd, you'd hit Abraham, where God started his relationship with his covenant people. And then if you go a little bit beyond Ruth, about a hundred years, you'd, you'd, you'd find the height of the, of the people of God with his covenant relationship known as Israel. You have the birth of David. But then if you go another thousand years, then you have, you have the birth of Jesus. And this book of of Ruth, all kind of centers around this one little town called Bethlehem in which the, the lineage of Jesus begins there in terms of part of his timeline and the people who, who were his precedents, uh, those who were birthed before him. And, and then you have the birth of Jesus in this little town as well. But the backdrop of this, and we need to recognize that in the midst of unpleasant circumstances and the unpleasant surprises, it was in the midst of a whole era of, of bad things happening to God's people. And bad things can happen in two ways, can't they? They, they can be based on things that other people do to you, other, other people's bad decisions, and it kind of just falls on your shore, and, and you're reaping the pain of someone else's actions, or, or it can be the pain that you are experiencing because of your actions, or it can be a blending of both. And even in the midst of all that, however, there is hope that, that, that God is not somehow asleep in heaven's resting places, but he's alive and well. He's concerned about your life and my life. So with that as a backdrop, look at your notes this morning. We're going to try to race through some things. As we think about unpleasant circumstances or unpleasant surprises and how does God intervene and where is God in the midst of that? Basically, this message is going to be given to you by the letter R. We're going to be looking at remembering God. Then we're going to be looking at reacting to God. And then thirdly, we're going to look at relooking at God. Remembering God is what we looked at last week. Just who is God and how does he really connect with people? Well, it begins as we looked at last week, and I, and I will resist the temptation of re-preaching last Sunday, which I often want to do when I get back here, because somehow I think you might have forgotten some of the things I had to say, but, uh, or God had to say. But here are the three things we need to remember about God in the midst of life happening. Number one is God values everyone. And just a quick note of that, as we looked at some of the primary characters in this book, uh, they had some sordid past. If not them, then their, then their forefathers, the, the people that, that brought them into, into existence. And, and God announces very powerfully throughout this book that no matter what has happened to you or by you or by others around you, God values you. 
You are important to God. And I hope you leave this place understanding that. You are important to God. Secondly, in the midst of things seeming to be out of control, everything going wrong, which means how can there be an all-powerful God, all-loving God, all-caring God, and things go wrong? It, 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 is, it is just powerfully put in this, in this text that God is in control of everything. And, and whether the things that have happened to you are, are by the direct hand of God or is allowed indirectly, God is in control and there's a, there is a plan in the midst of all that happens. And then thirdly, we need to recognize that God's love is for everybody. And even those, those people that we struggle with and we wonder, why did God put those people on this planet to bother us? God's love is for everybody. You know, some people might reject his love, but God's love is for everybody. And we ought to be the agents by which they experience that love through our lives. And, and we heard that even today with, with, with uh, Jessica. She, she began to realize that, that her main responsibility was to love the people around her with Christ's love. Well, that's remembering God. Well, l- let's look at reacting to God. And let's be honest. There are times where as we experience life and we begin to try to sift out the whys and the wherefores, we begin looking up at the one that we begin to shake our fist at and think, God, why? And this happens with this family or this group of people within the book of Ruth. Reacting to God. I I put in your outlines this morning, Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, and, and last week, we went through some of the names of the people and their significance. And, and Naomi's name means pleasant. Someone said, Miss Sunshine. She was always positive. She, she woke up the morning with a, with a song in her heart and a smile on her face. And she was just pumped about life. But after life happened to her, over a period of about 10 years, she, she went back to her home life. And this is, this is how she would describe her experience in her own words. Now, now the two of them went, and this is Ruth, and we'll read about that in a moment, uh, and they came back to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Now, we know this must have been somewhat of a small town, or maybe Naomi was a, a significant person within this town because when, they, when she started coming up after 10 years, they immediately recognized her. Wouldn't you like to have that, like, total recall? I mean, you could just, you never forgot a name. I, uh, I mentioned I was at... I, I, I um, officiated at Jackie's um, uh, memorial service on Tuesday. And, and some of you know, I don't, I don't usually bring up a whole lot of notes when I preach. I, I, just, I just let it all out, what I've been thinking about and studying. I, I mean, I take copious notes when I'm up here. I just I basically speak without notes. Well, they noticed I did that with, um, when I preached her service. And afterwards, and I remember some of their names and things like that. And they said, do you have a photographic memory? And I wanted to say yes, but I said, I, I said, well, not really. I, I just locked my keys in my car. <laughs> you know, this, I, guess, I, guess you, I guess you don't have a photographic memory. But, you know, they remembered Naomi because her name matched her spirit. She was pleasant, and now someone pleasant is coming back to town. But what was her reaction? She goes on there, and it says, uh, is this Naomi? Verse 20, but she said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I think we need, a, we need a note. Who is she blaming? She's blaming the Almighty One. 
and she understands whether that whether it's directly or indirectly god is in control so somehow god allowed this to happen and now she has become bitter not pleasant i went out full and the lord has brought me home again empty why do you call me naomi since the lord has testified against me and the almighty has afflicted me and maybe some of you have come in this morning, and if you're really honest, and you know that we all get that that question, how, how you doing? And we usually respond back, ah, I'm doing great, I'm doing fine, whatever it might be. But if you're really honest, you might say, uh, you know, if you if you're trying to put the the gauge on my life, I, I'm not really full. I'm headed toward the E. Because life happens. And unless we somehow redefine reality, there are times where we go through the difficult stages of life. And the surprises in our life are, are not pleasant, they're unpleasant. This was the, the experience of Naomi. Well, what was she reacting to? Why did she feel afflicted by God? Why did she feel empty? Well, well let's look at it as we look at the text, um, just reading through the, the true account, the true story. Beginning back again where we were a little bit last week, but just making some simple ob- observations. Now, it came to pass in the days when the, when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, th- now sometimes, you know, <laughs> as we look at what's going to happen next, we can be destroyed emotionally just by where our next place of... Um, destiny is going to be. Have you ever moved to a place you go, oh my word, how, do we really have to live there? Um, I don't know if I'll say this in the second service, but you know, my parents, when I was about four, they decided to move to El Centro. Have you ever been to El Centro? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> if you wonder why I am the way I am, it's because I, I lived in El Centro for a while. Okay, no. If you, uh, but, you know, they moved to Moab. You know, Moab, uh, I'm sure Naomi's thinking, husband, do you know where we're headed? Moab. In, in the period of Judges, we were, under, we were imprisoned by them for 18 years. They oppressed us. And, and in case you want a, like a, a signature word to describe this place, in Psalm 108, verse 9, it's not in your, in your notes, but in Psalm 108, 9, it says, Moab was the Lord's wash bucket. It was the Lord's trash can. This was where they were going to live. And Naomi, I'm sure she's thinking, God, you've moved us to a horrible place. You know, I was kind of mocking El Centro. But you know, it's interesting. You know, when, when you live in places that you would not necessarily choose to go to, but you know what makes a place great or not so great? It's the people you meet there. I mean, who wouldn't want to live in Orange County? But, you know, there's a lot of places in this world you'll find people that make life worth living. But as she thought about Moab, this was, this was God's trash bucket. And then her experience mirrored that. But, but let's move on. Okay, and, and it goes on, and then it says, verse 2, Then the name of the man was Elimelech. That's how you wanted me to say it last week. But it's really El-Emelech, okay? Um, and I won't go into the details in that, but it's my God is king, and so that's how you ought to say it. Okay, Elimelech, the name of the, his wife was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion. 
or sickly and puny. Ephrathites, which basically is another word for Bethlehem, of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. So she goes to this place, which is a horrible place, which is ruining her life. And then she, when she gets there, all of a sudden, her husband dies. And, and implied here, her husband dies young. You know, I was thinking about this on a personal level. You know, I was thinking about, you know, Alice and I have had an awesome life together, you know. But, you know, looking back, you know, it's quite possible if I were to somehow get knocked off now, Alice said, well, you know, at least I had a, a few good years with him, you know. You know, if I had been, when I'm my younger years, if I had somehow died, you know, she'd be angry at me. Now she'd probably be pleased with me if I left, right? You know, the, the later, the, the longer you live with someone, you get tired of them. And I have people remind me all the time, how can Alice actually live with you this long? But, you know, but when you're young, man, you don't expect your spouse to die. And, and she was a widow left basically with nothing. But, but she had her two sons, right? You, you, you brought me to a horrible place, and my, my husband died young. But then it goes on. Verse 4. Now they took wives, the, the two sons of the women of Moab. The name of the one was not Oprah, but Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Chilean also died as the woman survived her sons and her two sons and her husband. Now, now she's not only gotten to a horrible place, she not only has lost her husband young, now she's lost her two kids. As far as you know, her only two kids. And there's probably no greater pain than for a parent to survive their children. And I've had that in our family line. My, my aunt lost one of her sons at the age of 27. Uh, my, uh, my other aunt lost one in her, her son in her 50s. And it, it threw my aunt, the one who lost the one David when he was 27, in a spiral downward. Committed Christian, uh, ha- has given this to the Lord, but this was something that tore her life apart. Life happens even to God's people. Move to a horrible place, lose a husband at a young age, and then your children are gone. What's she left with? In that day, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for employment for women. God graciously provides, verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Now here we see God in control. Probably directly he had brought famine into God's land, the promised land for God's people as a, as a symbol of judgment because they had rebelled against him. Now as a symbol of restoration, it says specifically the Lord had visited that land and had brought bread to the house of bread, which is Bethlehem, and, and now she can go back. But, but let's put this in perspective. She's going back, but what is her going to be experienced? She has to go back. She's left to return home to survive. Some of you have you know, gone back to high school reunions. 
college reunions, one of my high school reunions, and go back and when you go back, some people go back because they go, you know, I think I look better than I did when I was in high school. I'm going to go back and show off, you know. And some people go, I'm not going to go back because they're going to look at me and go, oh, man, what happened to you, all right? This is, this is what Naomi's experienced. When she goes back, she's going to go, what happened to you, Naomi? She, she's going to be a charity case when she gets back. Now, she's going to be able to survive, but, you know, it's, it's going to be on the, on the graciousness of the people she's known in the past. And she's reacting to God. We already read that passage where she recognized it's God who's allowed this to happen to me. These are the unpleasant surprises of life. The story goes on. And I, I describe this. Not only that, she, she turns into someone who has to nag the people in her family. And Jessica put that in her, her story this morning. You know, I, I can pester her. That's the nice word to say, nag. Okay, And, and so she has... Two people that's still connected to her, her daughters-in-law, and, and now she's trying to persuade them not to come with her. Really probably out of good intentions, but she's nagging them. Look at verse 7. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of, his, of, of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. This, this, is, this word deal kindly, we're going to see it in a couple other places, is God's word in the Old Testament. If God's word in the, Old, in the New Testament is the word grace or love, agape love, in the Old Testament it's this word deal kindly, hesed in the Hebrew, which, which deals with God's goodness and, and faithfulness and his, his love poured out and and his kindness. And she hopes that, that God will spill that over to them as they have been dearer to her. And she's thinking, well, what's the best thing I can do for them is, is to tell them, just stay here in Moab, your, your land. Don't, don't go to a, a land in which you will be the stranger. You will be the outcast. Verse 9, The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband, that you'll get married here. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their their voices and wept and they said to her surely we will return with you to your people so when she says um, no they said we still want to go but Naomi doesn't stop first with the first exhortation to, to stay at home in verse 11 it says but Naomi said turn back my daughters why will you go with me are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands Turn back. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. And Ruth clung to her. She says, don't, don't stay with me. Because if you think somehow I'm going to provide for you another husband, it's not going to work. I, I'm, I am so old that even if I did get remarried and, and there became sons in my womb... Would you wait that long till they would grow up to the point that you could marry them? They'd, they'd be ancient. So, so she nags at them to stay. You know, and implied in this too, as she was thinking about it, she had no husband, uh, she had no children, and she looks at her two granddaughters who were without husbands because her sons had died. She also had no grandchildren. 
You know, you pick up the story in verse 12, kind of implied her. Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I'm too old to have a husband. I, I, I should say I have hope if I would have a husband today. You should also bear sons, and you should, which is the idea. You have not borne sons. And, and should you wait for them yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. Now, as I was listening to Jessica and, and knowing her story and just hearing about that, if, if I were listening and being outside of a personal relationship with God, and as I heard Jessica speak, I'd say, you know, I want what she has. God has been good to her, even though she's had a struggle with some things and she's, she's been challenged by things, but, but God has made a difference in her life. I, I want what she has, and I don't have that. But think for a moment what Naomi is telling her two daughter-in-law. You know, just take off. At this moment in her life, she's not the greatest advertisement for a relationship with the true God. Because as she looks back and she reacts to God, not responds, but reacts, you've brought me to a horrible place, a trash can of a place to live. You took away my, my husband at a young age. I no longer have children. My two sons are gone. I have to go back to the place where everybody knows me, and they're going to look at me. What happened to you? And now my relationship with my granddaughter, my, my, my daughter-in-law, which is good. I mean, they care about me, and I have to tell them, don't go, because I want what's good for them. And I think if they go with me, it's not going to be good for them. And not only do they don't have any children, I don't have any grandchildren to stay here. Everything seems dark around her. And she's experiencing bitterness in her heart. But in the midst of this unpleasant surprise, that really has a plural part to unpleasant surprises, we need to relook at what God has been doing behind the scenes. He has been valuing life. He has been in control. And his love is for everybody, even a Moabitess. Because look at how Ruth responds. And let me just throw in this for free as well. When someone tells you no, you don't always have to take that no as an answer. And when they tell you no a second time, you don't have to take that no as an answer. And even in Ruth's case, when, when Naomi goes after her again for a third time to persuade her not to come, she doesn't take no for an answer because there's something more important. And, and this is the response that Ruth gives to Naomi, which is a relook at God and what, what could motivate her to go with a mother-in-law who doesn't want her to come. And Ruth says in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from falling after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. 
How would you break that down as simply as possible? Naomi, not even realizing it, had left a legacy. Even in the midst of her pain. Even in the midst of, of not always trusting God. That, that God had a relationship with her. Something that Ruth saw, wanted, and probably at that point had already embraced, but now was going public. How would you define her commitment to the God of Naomi? I'll go in his relationship with her. Go where I wanted her to go. You see, she was willing to go where God wanted her to go. I'd probably rephrase that in the outline. And when you become a child of God, that's really what you need to be saying to God. God, God, I want to receive what you're willing to give me, forgiveness and your love and your presence. But not only do I invite you into my life, but I'm inviting myself into your life, into your plan. And I'll go where you want me to go. If you want me to go to El Centro, I'll go to El Centro. Wherever you want me to go, I'm I'm going there. Secondly, I'll stay where you want me to stay. You know, it's one thing to to take a you know short term mission trip and say, oh yeah, I don't mind kind of going on an adventure. But are, are you willing to make that your lifestyle? Are, are you willing to stay where God wants you to stay? And then thirdly, I'll identify with whom you want me to identify. You know, when, when Ruth left the Moab, she was leaving her family. She was leaving her identity. She was, she was leaving everything that was true about her and say, I, I'm now going to identify with your people, with the people of, <coughs> people of God. <coughs> Excuse me. See, when we become followers of Christ, not only do we embrace Jesus, but we embrace Jesus' followers. And that sounds so easy, but sometimes the followers of Jesus aren't the easiest people we want to embrace. <laughs> oh, man, do I have to be one of those people? You know? In fact, for some people, that's their biggest fear. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be like other people who say they're Christians. You know, and, and, and we don't always look like followers of Jesus, do we? But your people are going to be my people. And that's it. I'm going to identify with your people. I will identify with your church. I will identify with your followers. My God, your God will be my God. I will believe in the only one I need to believe in. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And for some people, that's, that's the thing they can't wrap their minds around. Are you saying there's only one way? Well, if there's only one God, there's only one way. Her, her family grew up in an in a, in a environment where they, they worshipped Kamash, kind of a form of the Baal God. She not only had to reject her family identity, she had to reject her religious idolatry. The true God will be my God. And then she said, The Lord do to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. She'll sacrifice for the only one worthy of sacrifice. 
You know, this sounds to me a lot, a lot, a lot what Jesus said is, is he was speaking to those who had heard so much from him and about him. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, what does that really mean, to deny yourself? What does that mean to pick up your cross? What does that mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to lose your life? Well, I think the example of Ruth here is a pretty good, uh, you know, fill in the blanks for what that looked like. That means, God, if, if I follow you, I'll go where you want me to go. I, I will... I will stay, no matter how much I dislike the place you put me in, I will stay where you want me to stay. I, I will no longer identify with the things of this world, but I'll identify with you. I, I will put my confidence in you and you alone. And I'm willing to make any sacrifice to make that happen. I'll, I'll burn the bridges to go back to where I used to be. Naomi, in the midst of experiencing all the unpleasant surprises of life, and I wouldn't want to add too many of those to my life, living in a horrible place, losing a spouse, losing kids, going back to be a charity case, having no extension of, of my legacy, not only children but grandchildren, having to, to, to try to push people out of my life who were, who were kind and loving to me. Except in the midst of all this, God was in control and took a life named Ruth and made her a true follower of the, the one and only true God. Where are you in that journey toward faith? Where are you in that full commitment to, to know the God who has provided for you, but he's asking you to go where he wants you to go? Stay where he wants you to stay. Identify with whom he wants you to identify. Believe in the only one worthy of believing and sacrifice for his sake and for others. Let's pray. Father, help us to, to take Ruth's example as being the, the challenge for us to embrace Jesus fully and completely by faith. If anyone here doesn't know you in a personal way, might they just say, and meet it in their heart of hearts. I, Jesus, I surrender. I give you my all. I want you to come in, but I want to be involved in your plan completely and fully. And when we make that commitment, then we become one of your family. And we become your children. Help us to live that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Giving you my
sake of you, my Giving you my dreams, laying down my 